let's have a great time. What a, what a great time it was for everybody. Um, just, uh, I can't, uh, um, I guess I can't talk and think about it enough that, um, you know, the Lord's name was lifted up. Every booth, there was, I don't know, six, how many, how many was six, seven churches come together, I want to say? And every church had some component of it, you know, some aspect, something for kids to do or for people to do. And, and uh, it was just a great time. And then, of course, we capped it off with a, a great evening of worship. It was a, uh, as I look over, and I talked last week about worship, and kind of our summer of worship in a sense, where we've done these three events, and uh, I, I want to say this, uh, because we're all going to be kind of somewhere on the spectrum of what we're talking about today, uh, but it takes courage, okay, it takes courage to step out and to, to, to do, you know, beyond, it's easy, I'll put it this way. Sometimes it's easy. We get real comfortable about being here and talking about God. We take it out in the public streets. We take it out to the city park. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, all the operations that go behind the scenes of setting up worship, these worship events can be pretty tricky. Uh, as we've mentioned, you know, our stuff got taken and then it got returned. I mean, that's all on the Lord. Like, what a blessing, right? What a blessing by God to... to uh, for the guy to be apprehended, for us to get our stuff back. But then, as I mentioned, behind the scenes yesterday, uh, Jonathan and Michaela came out to pick up the equipment here and get ready to get set up down there, and there was no internet. In fact, the AT&T towers were down. Um, our internet runs off AT&T here. And so Michaela's like texting me or calling me, uh, we don't have any internet at the church, there's nothing. That, which means... To be able to download stuff and print off the uh, flyers, the lyrics, all of that. All of that goes into even stuff for today, the bulletin. She was probably a little stressed. Um, and then getting down there and having a computer that wouldn't uh, cooperate. There's a lot behind the scenes. And um, so it can be stressful enough. And then you add this, the fact that you need courage. Like it takes an element of courage. You're going to stand up in front of a bunch of people you don't know uh, out in public and start talking about it. It takes Courage, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to go back to uh, Timothy, actually 2 Timothy. We're going to return to the epistle of 2 Timothy, look at the first chapter today. Uh, Timothy, as I've mentioned in the past and have, uh, in uh, recent months, have preached through 1 Timothy, and now we're looking at 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy was uh, Paul's companion in ministry. He calls him his son in the faith. He was uh, Paul's uh, protege. Uh, he was his disciple. He, he brought Timothy up in the faith. He commissioned him into ministry. Uh, he sent him out on his behalf. All those types of things we can read about, uh, not only in First and Second Timothy, but also in Acts and uh, various different epistles. And he sent him out not just to say, hey, go out and do this, but he, he sent Timothy out to deal with issues in the church. He says, I need you to go, Timothy, I need you to go to Ephesus. I mean, we, there's issues in Ephesus. I need you to go there and deal with these things, right? And uh, we don't know a lot historically about Timothy, but we can draw a lot out of the pages of the Word of God on what kind of man Timothy was. And uh, at the top of the list of the things that I've pulled out of the Bible, uh, Timothy was a timid man. He was a timid man. And you see that, and you see that this way, Paul is constantly building him up. 
Titus, on the other hand, his other protege, was probably a, a lot more uh, courageous, a lot more outspoken. But Timothy was really timid. He was a timid guy. He was, uh, and if you're timid, you're also this. You're non-confrontational. You don't want to get in other people's business. But that's exactly why Paul would send him out. I need you to go to Ephesus. I need you to, you know, Corinth, wherever. I need you to go deal with these issues. I need you to go confront these issues. And if you're a timid person, that is the last thing that you want to do. You're like, no way. I'm out, right? I don't want to deal with that. But God had a calling on his life. And Paul was constantly encouraging him. So that's kind of the basis of where I get these ideas that he was timid and non-confrontational. The upside is, is that Timothy had a shepherd's heart for the church. He loved the people. He loved the people. He wanted to see the church grow. He wanted to see the church mature. He wanted to see the church prosper. He wanted to see the church expand. He wanted to see people raised up in the faith uh, into mature believers, but then also the church expanding you know, laterally with more and more people. So he had a shepherd's heart for the church. The other thing that he had is he had this unwavering devotion to Christ. He had an unwavering devotion to Christ. But what was what I would classify as Timothy's greatest need? Uh, Timothy's greatest need is kind of our topic for today. Timothy's greatest need, and I'm going to go on to say, it's probably at some level, high or low, this is true for all of us. So it's, it's not just, well, it's not pick on Timothy morning, right? Like you apply this to your own life, you apply this in your family, in your situation, in your work stats, whatever. We all are somewhere on the spectrum of needing to be more bold. Somewhere. And, and, and that's up to you to kind of discern. Like, Lord, you can just be asking the Lord, Lord, where do I need to be where do I need to be more outspoken about you? Where do I need to be uh, more upright in my faith, not timid, not, not non-confrontational, but where do I need to be more bold in my faith, in my following you, Lord? That's kind of the question that I want to plant in our minds because we're all somewhere on that spectrum. Let's dump, dive right into 2 Timothy Chapter 1, follow along, it'll be on the screen. I prefer you to be in your own Bibles, but uh, whatever works best for you, works best for you. Paul says this, he identifies himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, there's his personal connection with his, his disciple, he says, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father of, and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you, <clears throat> therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, in you through the laying on of my hands. And the key verse that we really want to hone in on today is he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Right? Do we get that? 
Like so, so right off the right out of the gate, you see Paul talking to his his younger guy that he had sent out, and he says, "Hey, this is what God has done in you. I'm convinced, you know. And and your grandma had it, your mom had it. They were believers. They influenced you. They raised you up, right, right. And now it's in you. And he says, I want to remind you. I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on." Of my hands. In other words, uh, uh, when you commission somebody into ministry, right? When you commission somebody into ministry, in that time Paul's an apostle, but we would do it as elders. We would lay our hands on them and we would pray for them. And in unity, we we're proclaiming, in a sense, as God's led us to to so forth, uh, commission a person into ministry, whether it's a deacon role or somebody coming onto the elder board or some other. Co- position, maybe a uh, missionary or what have you. And he wants Timothy to go back and remember that. See, it's easy for us, just like it was easy for Timothy, it's easy to forget about that. Ah, it was a long time ago or whatever. We kind of move on, you know, we stay on our current timeline and the current topic and issues and we forget about what God's done sometimes. We need to go back and revisit that ancient uh, Israel would, would erect the stone pillars, you know, to remind them as they were traveling around the country, this is what God did here. This is what God did there. They would dig a well or whatever. And it's a reminder of what God did. And Paul's telling Timothy in like-minded, he says, hey, go back to when you were first commissioned by me, when I laid hands on you and prayed for you. Go back and think about that. Go, think, go back and think about, what does he say here? Stir up the gift of God which is in you. Stir that up. And we need that same message, right? We need to be stirred up by the Holy Spirit. We need to be stirred up by God to remember what He has called us to do. A lot of times we get a long ways down the trail and we forget about those things. I do. I'm no different than anybody else. I forget about those things. I forget about the things that, uh, and get busy with life, forget about the things that the Lord has shown me or the things that He's done in my life. And when we forget about them, when we forget about those things, we start operating not necessarily how God would want us to operate. We start operating the way the world operates. We start operating under other influences, so to speak. And that's why in verse 7, he dives right into this thing. He says, hey, God did not give you fear. Right? He did. And what does he call it? What kind of fear is it? Fear is a spirit. Fear is not just an emotion. It's just not a, uh, you know, a feeling or whatever. Fear, biblically, is a spirit, which there's a whole lot behind that. We're going to jump right into that. It's not a feeling. The Bible calls it a spirit. Ephesians 6.12 says, and this is not on the board, and girls, I wrote all this in after I gave you my notes, so you guys hang tight back there. Ephesians 6.12 they're spiritual hosts of wickedness. They're influential, Paul says to the Ephesians church. He also says a few chapters earlier, Ephesians 2.22, uh, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Notice the influence. Notice the influence that the enemy is, is through his demonic realm, is putting out on people, right? Uh, how do you know if it's uh, a sense from the Lord or from the enemy? 1 John 4.3 Every spirit that does not confess Jesus has, has come in the flesh is not of God. 
So you can test the spirits, right? Is this from God? Is this thoughts that I'm having, are they from God? Is this, uh, you know, whatever's inside of me that's kind of getting me spun up, is it from God? Or is it from the enemy? Is it from the enemy? Because fear, if it's fear, now I'm not talking about, hey, you know, the toddler's running out on the, on the highway, we got to grab them. There's going to be a sense of like, you're fearful for that little guy out of common sense and, you know, you got, it needs a rescue. Well, guess what? We need a rescue. Like, that's a common sense thing. Don't play in the highway, kids. Get it? We shouldn't have to make a placard for that, but in our society, maybe we need to. We're talking about a spirit, a spirit of fear. And your enemy, and my enemy, wants us to be fearful. That's the first link in the handcuffs around our lives is to operate in fear, not in faith. So our enemy wants us to be fearful. It's a demonic influence. And the spirit of fear here that Paul is describing is, uh, is this. It's a lack of mental or moral strength. It's cowardice or timidity. I believe that's why Paul used this specific word here as he wrote to Timothy. It's the only place in the Bible uh, that this Greek word dylea is used. The word for fear, dylea. Uh, normally, the normal word for fear would be what? What Greek words? Anybody know? Phobo, phobia. It's where we get our word phobia. Uh, fear of whatever. You know, you can tack onto it. That's the normal, the standard word for fear used throughout the word. This, this word here he uses is uh, uh, dylea, and it is exactly what I mentioned. It's cowardice. It's a lack of moral or mental strength. It's hiding behind a timid attitude. It's allowing the enemy to come in and kind of lock us down. Now, for example, uh, where you where the Greek word phobia was used, if you look at Romans 8.15, where Paul tells the Roman church, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear or again to phobia, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There's not a ton, I guess I want to say this, there's not a ton of difference, if you will, between the two Greek words, but it is good to note that there's, this one's only used once, and it's, Really, he's really honing in on Timothy's tendencies, uh, frankly, to be a coward. So he's trying to pull him up out of that. But whether it's a spirit of cowardice or whether it's a phobia, the truth is, the truth is, is that the demonic forces that are influencing people uh, with fearful thoughts, uh, they create this in our lives. They create strongholds in our lives. It is a type of a stronghold that Paul talks to the... Corinthian church about when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 6 he says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds pulling down strongholds you think of a stronghold you're thinking of a, a castle 
You're thinking of a big rock building, a big concrete building. You're thinking of, of anything that in, in, in the ancient times where they would run into, they would find solitude, they would find peace, they would find uh, uh, you know, a rescue spot, right? Well, guess what? That same rescue spot can be spun by the enemy and be a stronghold that's not necessarily a rescue, but it's something that holds us captive. It's something that holds us prisoner. And fear of all things can hold people prisoner. If we didn't pick that up in the last few years, I don't know what we were looking at, right? I don't know what we were paying attention to as a society. Fear has held people captive in the craziest of ways. It's a stronghold. I want to define stronghold this way. Actually, I don't want to. I picked this up from Tony Evans, pastor down in Dallas, Texas. He says a stronghold is a mindset that accepts a situation as unchangeable even though we know it's against the will of God. That's a stronghold. I like Tony's definition. That's why I grabbed it. Right? It's a mindset that we say, okay, we're just going to accept this thing. Uh, we're going to say, you know, this, this mindset, whatever's going on, it's unchangeable even though we know it's against the will of God. We're denying the power and the sovereignty of God in that situation. If we hold on and are under that stronghold, Paul goes on to say, verse 5, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If we look at fear as a stronghold, it's a stronghold that locks people down. And the beautiful thing about what Paul tells the Corinthians church is there's a pathway out of this. How do we get out of these strongholds? Well, obviously we have to confess them, that we're following something other than the Lord. So we need to, we need to confess that as sin. In other words, if I'm struggling with fear, if I'm, if I'm timid about a situation, if I'm in Timothy's shoes and I'm not, I'm not willing to confront sin that's either in my life or in my family's life or in, in relationships around me, that's on me. That's on me for being a coward. And I need to confess that as sin. I need to repent of that sin. And I need to do like what Romans 12 says. I need to be transformed and allow the Lord to renew my mind about these things. But these things are cast down. These strongholds, he says, are to be cast down. And what are they? They're arguments about everything, that, high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Whatever argument out there, whatever thing that people are standing on in this world that opposes the knowledge of God, that opposes the character of God, that opposes all that, that God has said clearly in His Word, those things, those arguments... They, need to be, they can be strongholds, but they need to be pulled down. They need to be cast down. And rather than uh, allowing them in our lives, we need to then, as he says here, we need to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. What does that look like? Well, just exactly what he said. Exactly what he said. When we're tempted in some particular area and we have a thought rushes through our mind, like we just don't say, all right, yeah, let's go with that. No, we say, all right, Lord, was, you know, is that from you? 
Like, is that, is that consistent with the, your word? Is that consistent with, with uh, uh, Jesus? Is it consistent with all that you've said in your scriptures? I want to bring that into, uh, into obedience, as he says. I want to bring it under submission. I want to bring it in under submission to Christ, rather than, as this, our society does, they just keep it elevated above it. So if you like, you know, seasonally, you watch the History Channel, and during Christmas and Easter especially, you know, they're going to have all of these shows and these, these uh, documentaries where everything's being questioned. You know, everything's, there, there's this air of suspicion about all things, you know, what the Bible says. They're trying to keep those arguments up there. They're trying to keep those thoughts up there above Christ as if they're the sole authority on the matter. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't question. I think it's good to ask questions. I think it's better when we get the answer to those questions out of the Word of God rather than just somebody's opinion, right? Because somebody's opinion started with their thoughts, and if their thoughts aren't in submission to Christ, if their thoughts are not brought in under Jesus, then those thoughts then are the same ones that are elevated. Then there's a sense of self-discipline he talks about. That's verse 6. I've kind of wrestled with this verse this week a little bit. Where he says, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Talking about strongholds. Uh, That really puts the finger on our own chest to deal with our spiritual life in a sense. Like we need to be self-disciplined Christ followers. We need to be self-disciplined Christians. That when there's something that is amiss in our life, there's something that is off-target in our life, whether we recognize it or somebody, a brother or sister in the Lord comes up and says, hey, we need to have a little, we need to have a little chat, right? We need to have a little talk. This ain't right. This isn't going well. Something's wrong. If we're puffed up with pride, we're just going to say, forget it. You know, we're going we're to have every argument against their concern. We're going to justify whatever that is. You know, whatever, we're going to justify our situation, our actions against their discernment. But if we're humble, right? If we're humble, if we're willing to look objectively, or if we're willing to look at it ourselves and say, hey, I'm off on this area. I need to self-discipline. I need to be the one living out verse 6, being ready to punish all disobedience. It's self-discipline in the spiritual life. All right, let's jump back to first, uh, 2 Timothy. Just wanted to give you a little bit on the strongholds and insert that uh, fear is, is definitely a stronghold in our lives. Fear's the voice that says, I can't. I can't do that. No way. I can't pray in public. Uh, fear's the voice that says, I can't. Well, you want me to sing in public? <laughs> you want me to say something in public? Right? Fear's that type of voice. And it's a stronghold in our lives. We need to make sure that it's uh, dealt with. Back to 1 Timothy Oh, sorry, Second Timothy. In my notes, I have First Timothy. That's how much time I spent in First Timothy. Back to Second Timothy, chapter one. A couple of reasons that Paul is encouraging Timothy in this uh, in this way. 
where he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. The premise behind all of that is it's important to know who is influencing your decisions. It's important to know who is influencing. This is the, this is the discernment point of the whole thing. It's important to know who is moving the needle of your mind. Is it the enemy or is it the Holy Spirit? Right? Where are these thoughts coming from? What do they reflect? Who do they reflect? Do they f- reflect the character and nature of God? Are they courageous? Are they faith-filled? Do they cause us to, to trust God more or trust God less? Do they cause us to move closer to Christ or closer to something else? Like So he's telling Timothy, in a sense, you need to know who's influencing your thoughts. Because your natural inclination, Timothy, is to be timid. Don't let it be so. It's important to know who is influencing your thoughts and decisions. The second thing is, is that boldness matters. Boldness matters. He keeps telling Timothy time and time again uh, to be bold in the faith, to carry on the duties, to, to you know, hang in there, to stay committed. Boldness matters. Without it, without it, we cannot fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Without boldness in our faith, we, you, can't, you, you can't just be, and especially not today, not in our society, you can't just be a mousy, quiet, never, you know, say anything type of a believer. It's not going to work. It's not, it didn't work in the first century. The first century ple- uh, believers were on the edge. They were absolutely bold. So boldness matters. We need it to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. So we either operate by fear or we operate by what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 1, power, love, and a sound mind. God's given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit that controls a strong mind. When we look at the word power there, when we do his work, when we proclaim his word, when we represent Christ's kingdom, we have all of his power supporting us. Is there a better place to be, is my question. Is there safer hands than the hands of Christ? Right? When we uh, put away cowardness in our faith, and we operate with boldness and with power, there's not a safer place to be. And you're looking at me saying, really? Have you read the book of martyrs? (laughs) Right? Do you know? You know, about all these people that gave their life? Absolutely. And if that's what's required of any of us, and you're operating uh, in, an, in an area where Christ is uh, calling you to be, and you're operating in faith, and then your life is required of you, that's, that's God's business. Right? The safest place to be is right where God wants you to be. The safest place not to be is hiding in the corner. Because you're an easy target, right? How many of our young people have played, and we play this game often, we play dodgeball in here. If you come on a Monday or a Wednesday night, right, this place is hoed out, there's no chairs, and there's all these multicolored balls flying back and forth. And guess who always gets picked off? 
It's a person standing over here in the corner that refuses to move. Refuses to be active. Right? And the next thing you know, they're getting a foam ball on the side of the head. They're an easy target. And all the kids know it. And they're kind of like piranhas that way. God's given us a spirit of power. We're safe in His hands. We're safe in His hands. He's given this a spirit of love as well. This tells us a lot about the power that He's given us. Many people think of power in terms of how much we can control others, but Jesus' power is expressed in how much we can love and serve others. That's kind of a combination thought between both power and love. We see this a great example in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. I won't read the whole thing. But essentially it says this. This is what the power of love looks like. On the night before the cross, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had all power. What did he do with his power? Right? What did he do with his power? Was it, was it all about self-preservation? Did he use the power the Father had given him just so that he would be okay? No. No, he expressed it in love. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he humbly washed his disciples' feet. That's what a spirit of love looks like. It looks like service. It looks like care for others. It looks like compassion for others. It's serving other people. And then we have a sound mind. The ancient Greek word here had the idea of a calm, self-controlled mind in contrast to the panic and confusion that comes with a fearful situation. That's what a sound mind is. You're not rattled. You're not rattled. Right? I've sat in pretty stressful meetings over the years uh, some that I'd just assume, like, I really don't want to be here, right? You know what amazes me? It amazes me, and, and, and I played kind of in a sense at the, in that particular meeting. I kind of played a, a second chair. I didn't have a lot to say initially. <laughs> I always have a lot to say. But I sat back, and I, and I was observing something. I was, exer- uh, I was observing uh, two other men working through a situation, uh, where one man was being kind of called to account, and I observed the other guy, and I thought to myself, wow, this guy's been in some real high-stress situations because, man, he is not rattled. And I, I, I remember that at times. When I get into a stressful situation, when I get into a, you know, a, real, uh, a real squeeze or whatever it is, I think back to that because that is the example in my mind of a sound mind that you're just not operating out of fear, manipulation. You're not operating out of, you know, carnality. You're not operating the way the world operates. You're operating under the control of a sound mind being led by the Holy Spirit. And so you can pick through these tough things. You can go through uh, difficult topics and hard conversations. And you can do so with a sound mind. We're called to have, I should say, We're commanded to have both power, love, and a sound mind. So what's the result of what Paul is telling Timothy here? What's the result of receiving power, love, and a sound mind? I think the result is what he's been driving at all along. 
And that is he's saying, hey, Timothy, you have no reason not to be bold in the faith. Right? I understand that your, your nature is to be timid. But the requirements of what God is doing and how He's going to infuse you with the power of His Holy Spirit requires some boldness. It requires boldness. And I'm saying the same thing for all of us, including myself. Like as time goes on, the days that we live in will require us to rise up. And I mean starting today. Rise up with boldness. Let's pick it up in verse 8 where we left off. Verse 7, pick it up in verse 8. So Paul goes on to say, Therefore, all this is connected to the previous first seven verses. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now, <clears throat> but now been revealed by his, the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Let's just stop there for a second. The result of receiving and operating in God's power, love, and sound mind is boldness. He says, don't be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of, of the testimony of God that you have, and don't be ashamed of me, right? Why does he say, why does Paul tell Timothy, don't be ashamed of me? Here's the reason why. Because in the first century, if you were in prison, right? If you were like Paul writing this in chains, it's shameful in that society. It's shameful in our society. Nothing's changed there. And so there's a sense where Timothy would get these jabs. He would get these, you know, pokes and there's, oh yeah, hey, you know your leaders, you know, in cuffs? Some guy, right? Some guy Paul is, Timothy. Your guy, the guy that, that you've spent all your time with, the guy that you've abandoned your you know, life for to follow, and as you follow this Jesus you're talking about, you know the guy, your leader, the head dude? You know he's in jail, right? That's not a good thing. That's the jabs that Timothy would get. He says, hey, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me. Rather, he says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he's given us in Jesus Christ. A lot of times we try to fill in all the blanks, connect all the dots. God doesn't work that way. Sometimes we don't know why. We need to be okay with not knowing all the whys. four results of living a life with Holy Spirit boldness that Paul talks about here in the remaining verses of chapter 1. The first one I've already started to mention, it's a freedom from any shame for following Jesus. There was that immense social pressure to change their beliefs and to change their allegiance 
uh, back to the emperor, right? Back to Caesar. Uh, sound familiar? Am I talking about then or now? I mean, you guys decide, right? Like that's the social pressure for today. The social pressure for today is don't stand out differently from the culture, and if you do in any sort of a way, you will be shamed, right? You will be shunned. You'll be the one made fun of. Do you think that's going to get easier, people? Do you think all of a sudden the people that are into all this, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the term for today? I want to say, yeah, the kind of the, I mean, just like if you stand out different than the mainstream, you know, then, you know, then you're no good. You think that's going to get easier for our culture? It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Let's get real with it. It's going to get harder. There's a drive for allegiance. There's actually two drives for allegiance. There's a social drive that's in accordance with the enemy of our souls, and there's an allegiance that's demanded by the Heavenly Father. And you either take one trail or you take the other. But don't give in. Don't be ashamed. Don't submit to the pressure that's called cancel culture, which is our 21st century shaming. Paul knew that the plan of God in Christ seemed foolish to many. He knew that. But he also knew that it was living active in the power of God to save people's souls and to transform lives. So Paul would not be ashamed of it. And neither should Timothy, and neither should you, and neither should I. We're all in this together, right? I, you, we're all... We all have the same temptations to not speak up, not speak out. Right? I'm going to say that our worship events in the park is kind of the, I, I want to put it this way, tip of the iceberg for public proclamation. We've thought about these. We, I've mentioned this before. We've thought about these. Look, we should do a worship thing in the park. We've thought about, how many years have we thought about? Two, three, four years? We've, and, and we just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Let's stop putting those things off and we've got the ball rolling. Next summer, let's do them again. Let's add two. Let's keep the train moving. Right? Not shy away in shame and be shameful or be ashamed of what God's doing. Exactly the opposite. The second uh, thing that we see here in these verses is an opportunity to share in the sufferings of the gospel. The power of God is always there. <clears throat> but it's not always there to remove the difficulty. Sometimes it's there to see us through the difficulty. The pathway that our culture is on is always to try to run away from any tough thing. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the pathway of our culture. Uh, something hard, something that's uncomfortable, something that brings pressure into our lives, something we don't like, and we try to outdrink it, we try to outdrug it, we try to outporn it, we try to outspend it. We're at the casino. We're, our, as a society, we're running away from pain and suffering as fast as we can, and we can't escape it. God's saying, hey, it's not about running away from it. Not in that sense. We need to run away from sin, for sure. But things that comes our way, we need to just stop and say, hey, Lord, this is, this is up to you, right? This is up to you. 
And guess what? God shows up in the midst of it all. That's what he did for the three Hebrew boys in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, we preached about this several weeks ago. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, everybody's either going to bow to me when the music plays, you know, or in the fire you go. Right? So they said, sorry, not going to do it. They took a stand. They took a stand against somebody that had all authority to take their life. They took a stand that was uh, 100 and 80 degrees opposite of everybody else in their culture. Just three of them. You kind of throw Daniel in for the mindset. But there was three of them. So they stood out. They said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you do what you want to do. As for us, whether we survive or whether we don't survive doesn't matter. We're going to not bow the knee to you. You're not God. Little memo, you're not God. None of your civil leaders are God. We're going to stay truthful. We're going to stay on point with the God of Israel, creator God. So whatever happens to us, happens to us. We're willing to trust him for that. My question is, are we willing to trust the days that we live in to do the same types of thing? It's not about being removed from the difficulty. Sometimes it's there so God can see us through the difficulty. Of course, we all know the the great story from Sunday school. You know, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, and there's four guys in there. He's thinking, where'd the fourth guy? Like, what's going on here? Somebody walk in with an asbestos suit, and nobody caught him? Mm -mm. No, that ain't it. Any of you that worked at Northwest Alloys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a little toasty, right? Even the guys that threw the guys into the fire died. No, Jesus was there in the midst of the trial and in the midst of the fire that these guys were a part of, that they were thrown into. I don't know what's going on with my microphone today. It's driving me nuts. I'm about ready to throw it away. Jesus was in the midst of it all. We need to see that, and we need to remember that pattern when there comes an opportunity to share in the sufferings that Paul's talking about here. The third thing, is a life free from the fear of death. Free from the fear of death, verses 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy 1. Uh, Hey, the upside is we get immortality, right? Like, is that something to celebrate? I think so. Like, who's going to do something to you? They may take the tent. They may, you know, cut off parts of the tent. (laughs) They may melt, they want to melt the tent down. The Bible calls our bodies a tent, temporal dwelling. But what are they going to do to the you that's you? They can't touch the you that's you that's in Christ. It's untouchable. This should should really be the thing that turns up the boldness in our life. What are they going to do? Are they going to kill you? So then you can go and be with Christ in an instant? You tell me. We get immortality. Jesus had more to say about what lies beyond the grave than anyone. And in that, he brought comfort and clarity to eternal life. He brought comfort and clarity to eternal life. Who else predicted their own death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off? You tell me. What leader? Buddha? No. Sorry, it didn't work. Muhammad? No. He's not that good. You tell me. 
Jim Jones? No. Even worse yet. Right? There's nobody out there. There's nobody through human history that's ever done what Christ has done and proved that he was God. And in that, he gives the same things to his people. He gives resurrection to his people. People that are in him, John says. Connected to the vine. I want to say this. It's probably been one of the most uh, inspiring phrases that I've heard probably over the last couple of years. Is that if we think about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, I want to say this. If the grave is empty, anything's possible. Right? What's, what's, you, I mean, you can't come up with anything. If Jesus' bones were not still in the hole, then, then uh, what's, imposs- what's not possible? Everything. I mean, anything's possible. I get my words right. If the grave is empty, anything's possible. That's the way we have to live. That has to be the mindset for the believer today. It was the mindset for the believers all through history. We can't get away from that. The fourth thing is, is a command that Paul gives to Timothy in verse 13. Let's go back and look at verse 13. We, didn't, we stopped before 13, so I'll just continue to read here. He says here to Timothy in verse 13, Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which is committed to you, kept by, whole, kept by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this you know, that not all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Oniphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. <clears throat> but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. And the Lord grant to him that he may be, find mercy in the day of the Lord. And you know very well how many ways that he ministered to me in Ephesus. So kind of a few uh, concluding remarks for the end of chapter 1. But at the beginning of that in verse 13, Paul gives Timothy this command really to hold fast to solid teaching, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. After writing about the importance of boldness, Paul next calls Timothy to be faithful to God's truth and the pattern of sound words. This idea of uh, hold fast is, suggests someone or something would try to take the truth from Timothy, right? So you need to, it's, an, it's kind of an old, it's actually an old-fashioned like sailing term, hold fast. You know, when, when in the old days when they're on these, you know, big sailboats and the storms kicked up, you know, and someone would yell out, hold fast, hold fast. And that meant everybody's grabbing a rope, everybody's getting a hold of something, we're going to hold this boat steady. We're going to hold this boat sure. We're not going to just let the winds and the waves and the storm beat our boat to pieces. We're all going to put everybody on board, and I'm saying for us, everybody on board, for us here at New Life, needs to put a hand on the rope. Not only would they put a hand on the rope, oftentimes, as, as they would, those guys on the uh, old-time sailors would wrap that rope around one arm and hold fast while they put another hand on their brother's shoulder, saying, here, I'm right behind you. I got you. 
right? And somebody would be doing the same for them. They'd be holding fast, locked down. It's a great picture of teamwork. It's a great picture of unity. It's a great picture of, of being solid and true to the Word of God and to one another. And that's part of what Paul's trying to build into Timothy. It's a part of what we need to today get out of this passage. We need to be people that hold fast to truth. We need to hold fast to truth. We can't, we can't be veering off left, right, this way, that way, following whatever trend comes along. We need to just hold fast to truth. Right? Most of us are holding what we need to hold fast to right in our very laps. Right? We have it on our phone. Like We have more access to truth today than any other uh, generation in all of history. So it's not accessibility. It's conviction. It's conviction. Now, let's say this, that we're saved to live a bold life. We're saved to live a bold life. That's where Paul's encouraging Timothy to really grab onto. And Paul's showing Timothy that, that uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful picture in chapter 1 that, that unless you miss it, uh, and, and it's easy, I kind of missed it the first time I was reading through and studying. I, was, I went back and I said, wait a minute. Paul's bringing out something really dynamic here. Paul, in, in this passage, in how he's teaching uh, and building up Timothy's faith to, to really be engaged in the church, he's doing so in a way that's demonstrating uh, all three points of the Trinity. There's all three points of the Timothy shows up here in chapter 1. There's God the Father who has an eternal plan. Kind of, I'm backing up now to uh, <clears throat> verse 8 where he says this and uh, let's see. Uh, sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So he's bringing up God the Father who has an eternal plan. He goes on to say, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. That's that uh, eternal plan to save people from their sins. So you have God the Father in the mix. Then he's talking about how does that plan execute it? Well, Jesus is the one that executes the plan by becoming man, dying on the cross in place of our sins, being that sin offering for you and I taking on everything, uh, all sin for all mankind, for all time. In that moment, he's executing the plan of God. Really the plan that was laid out before time began. Then he was buried and rose again the third day. We talked about that. Conquering both sin and death. That's that uh, access to immortality that we're given as a gift by Christ. And then you see the Holy Spirit show there, shows up in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm trying to think where. Oh, there it is, verse 14. Where he says, hold fast, I'll go back to 13. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you and it was kept by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So you see all three points of the Trinity at work in God's plan for you and I to live a bold life, right? And guess what? It's the Holy Spirit that keeps all of this bound together. It's the Holy Spirit keeps all of, who's dwelling in you and I as Christ followers is keeping all of that put together, right? Holding it all together. It's a beautiful picture that we see the Trinity here. 
the Holy Spirit, if the uh, if the worship team wants to come on up, we'll close out. I would just say this uh, after kind of this long weekend.